Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. All right. Good morning, everybody. So fun to be here. I'm Pastor Jono, one of the pastors on staff, and I get to work with awesome people like Brandon and Jacob and others. And um, John, this week, our lead pastor, is at a wedding in Portland with uh, one of our founders. His child is getting married, so he's up there, and he's uh, just enjoying that. So I get a pinch hit today. And uh, this is, am I a little hot here? Am I okay, Donahue? Um, I am a little hot, I know, seriously. Thank you. Whoever said that over here, Scott Lasea, thank you. Um, Woo, man. Yeah, so uh, distracting. Um, This is, bringing bringing a word is so fun. And it is so hard at the same time. And so can we just praise God for a moment for John? He's not here. We're just going to praise God. You know, he can't get a big head because we can just praise him without him here. And uh, just thank God for, for John and, and the messages that he brings us week after week. Can we do that for a minute? Just thank God. I am so thankful. And until you stand up here and try to preach, um, you know, I stumble and bumble along the way and I'm learning so much from him. Uh, it, you don't realize how hard it is, but it, it takes a lot. And, uh, and God's, I, I'm nervous this morning. God's going to do something good and I'm excited about what he's going to bring. Um, he told me a, a long time ago that the difference between a good sermon and a great sermon has nothing to do with the preacher and everything to do with the listener. So I'm just gonna take all the pressure and throw it on you. And uh, that makes me feel really good, okay? So, uh, and then uh, Dan McManus, the guy in our church, he, he reminded us the keys to the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom of Jesus are hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst. So who's, who's hungry this morning? Anybody hungry for a word? A few of us. Okay, maybe we should just go have a small group in the back. No. Um, Let's, let's stand together in readiness, and let's hear God's word uh, and be ready, get in the ready position, as I like to say in tennis. This is uh, Philippians 1. You can read it on your program on the screen, and uh, 3 through 11, I'm going to read. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it's right that I should feel this way about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love 
will overflow more and more and that you will keep growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. If I don't say anything else, I know this word, your word, will produce fruit. God, you know every single one of us in this room, where we're at, what we need, what we need to hear, how we need to be comforted, encouraged, strengthened today. I don't know that, and so we call on you. I call on your Holy Spirit to show up this morning in us and among us. Make yourself known here. Thank you for this time. Would you develop a hunger and a thirst in us for you? We pray this in your name. And everybody said, all right. As you're having a seat, turn to your neighbor and say, he's not finished with you. It's Labor Day weekend. Labor Day is the day that we celebrate work. Is that what we celebrate on Labor Day? I'm, I'm work. I think we celebrate work. We, we don't work to celebrate work. Is that, is that how Labor Day works? I'm not really sure. It's kind of a weird holiday. But we love it. Who loves Labor Day? Um, and uh, today, we are going to be talking about God's work, not our work. What is God doing we have a, a guy in my life group, Mike McKinnis, right around here. There he is. And uh, Mike likes to ask the question to our life group, what's God up to? What's God up to? You ever ask that question? What's God up to? Yeah, sometimes we need to when we're, when we're feeling the pressure, when we're feeling life come at us. What is God up to? God, what are you up to? And so we're going to be sharing a little bit about what, uh, what God gave us this week on that. And I really believe God wants to speak a word of hope to you today, a word of hope that he is not finished with you. And we have some pots up here. We have some beautiful pots, thanks to P. Hall. I don't know if you're in the house, P. Hall. But uh, Patrick Hall, um, let us borrow these. And they're a visual reminder today that God is at work, that he is not finished, that he is molding and shaping and pressing and making something so beautiful that we see down here on the communion tables. This is our visual reminder today. Isaiah 64, 8 said this, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are our potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. The work of your hand. We just see the Apostle Paul. I mean, we just read what he wrote to the Philippians. Do you, do you know about the Apostle Paul? What kind of guy he was? He was a hater. He hated Christians so bad, he would go on mission, right, to hunt them down, to find them and to throw them in jail or to have them killed. He hated them. How, is this the same guy that, that wrote this? that authored this? It is. How do we explain that? What's God up to? What's God doing? I'm trying to keep it simple today for us because it is a holiday weekend. Our brains are 
you know, a little on vacation. Um, so th- these are the two things I'm going to be talking about. What is God doing and how's he doing it? What is God doing and how is he doing it? Can you track with me on that? What's God doing and how's he doing with? How's he doing it? First, what is God doing? I'm gonna, we're going to look at, at uh, just dissect a little bit in verses 9 through 11. And uh, first, he, you know, Paul says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Who started the work? God. Who finishes the work? God. Why do we think we're the people in the middle doing the work? It's God that does it. He does it all. He does the beginning, the middle, and the end. He is doing the work. And he gets all the glory and the credit because he does the work, right? Our job is just to submit, to, to let him mold and shape us. And so Paul, I think these verses 9 through 11 give us a glimpse of um, what he's doing. What does he want to do in us? And, and let, me, let me fly through these. I'm going to do a little Bible study this morning. You okay for that? You okay, a little Bible study? Okay. We, uh, Paul prays that our love will overflow more and more. God wants to increase our capacity to love, to love everyone always. That, that is what he is doing. He's increasing our capacity to love. The quantity of our love would grow. You ever see those families with like 10 kids and you're like, how on earth? How did they do that? How do they love all those kids the same? Well, God, God does it. God increases the parents' capacity to love. He increases your heart to do what he wants you to do. That's what he does in us. But it's also in quantity. He wants to increase the, quanti- the quality, I mean, the quality of our love and knowledge and understanding. Those two words go back to love. They, they, quanti- they, they qualify love in some ways. So God wants us to know how to love each other. He wants us to know and to be wise in how we love each other. I've been married 21 years, and I think I, I know a little bit about how to love my wife. I know she wants and needs and feels loved when I spend time with her undistracted. Anybody else in that boat? Um, you know, she, I know she feels loved that way. And so I could give her all the gifts of the world, keep showering her with gifts. And, but what she really wants is, is quality time. God wants us to know how, he wants, he wants to fill us with the knowledge of how to love each other in this community. The only way to do that is to spend time together, to, to know each other, to, to listen, to get into each other's lives. He also wants us to be wise in our love with each other. You know, I could say like, oh, I'm such a great dad. I work 80 hours a week and I love my kids so much because I just keep, you know, getting side hustles and working and working and I'm providing all this amazing things for them. And what really they need is my presence. What really would, would be loving would be to spend time with them and to be the dad I need to be to them. It's not to work 80, 90 hours. That's wisdom. That's how we love and wisdom. So God wants us to love and knowledge and he wants us to be wise in how we love each other. Verse 10, God wants us to understand what really matters. He's rearranging our priorities. I think it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer in in Life Together says the community of Jesus is a reordering. When we come together in Jesus, he reorders our priorities together. That's what he wants to do. He wants us to know what really matters. 
Isn't it so easy to get distracted by things that don't matter? It's amazing how much information we have coming at us. When you turn on the news or you look at social media, instantly you are into the realm of things that don't matter, I feel like. You know, it's just, you are, you're starting to think, you're starting to get anxious and fearful and jealous and, and discontent. And, and that doesn't, it, that, that's a sign that I need to stop and, and get quiet and realize, God, am I focusing on things that really matter? What really matters? There's a great story with uh, Martha and Mary, some of you know, two of Jesus' followers, two of his best friends, and he went over to their house to spend time with them. And Martha, you, you, a lot of you know the story. Martha's busy. She's trying to have it all together. She's trying to do it all. She's trying to get everything ready and cook the meal and clean the house and, and do it all and get ready. And Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just being with him, spending time with him. And, and Martha gets frustrated and, and she gets mad and she says, Jesus, don't you care that, that I'm doing all the work around here? And what does he say? He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. What are you worried and upset about this morning? What are you worried and upset about? What really matters. I love this little verse, Micah 6, 8. It's really simple. It says, he has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Simple. That's what God wants, to keep it simple. And he goes on, Paul goes on to say, so that we can be pure and blameless. Pure is completely sincere. Blameless is, is not offensive. It's not hurtful. And one commentator said, when love abounds in a community, when love abounds in a community, it's characterized by a pure desire to serve one another rather than envying and hurting each other. Don't we want that in our community? A pure desire to serve one another rather than than comparing and getting envious and who's, who's the favorite person. And, you know, God wants us to, to serve and to love and, and he wants to do that in us. That is what he is doing. That's what God is up to. And then lastly, we're, we're filled with the fruit of, that we would be filled with the fruit of our salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. And the image here is, is a vineyard. It's a a vineyard just blooming with many, many grapes or, or a tree by a stream that's just super fruitful. The bottom line here, what, what is God up to? He's increasing our love so we can live like Jesus. He's increasing our heart, our capacity to love, our quality of our love. He's making us sincere. He's, he's changing us from the inside out, just like he did with Paul. He's changing us. That's what God's up to. And so I want to I have just three tools. As, uh, as we think about the pot illustration here, there's, there's lots of tools that go into making these pots from this hunk of clay that is, that is just moldable and shapeable to all the way to here and then the, the finished product. There's tons of tools that are used. 
And God, there's a lot of tools. I, I see a few in this passage that I want to point out. There's more. This isn't a comprehensive list at all. But uh, let me give you three tools as we keep going here. The first one is he uses people. God uses people. That sounds really obvious, Jonah. Okay, God uses people. Just look around this room for a minute. These are the people God wants to use to shape and mold in your life, the life of Christ. You, you, the person you're sitting next to, I want you to turn to the person you're sitting next to and just say, you're a tool. <laughs> Seriously. You're a tool. Now, in the best sense of the word, I mean, Proverbs 27, 17, what does it say? It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You, the person that you're sitting next to, or that's in your life group, or that's in your community group, or your D group, whatever we're going to call it, um, the, uh, the, the person that you're doing life with is the tool that God is going to use to rub, to shape to shave off those, those rough edges in your life, to help you love more deeply, more intimately. You simply cannot become the person God wants you to become. You can't by yourself in a bubble. You cannot do it. God calls you into community to shape and mold you. If you think that faith is just this individual thing that I just believe what I believe and that's it, no, I don't need to talk to anyone about it, it's not. That's not the faith of, of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us into a community where we, where we learn to love and shape and mold each other and press on each other. There's a word here in the scripture in verse 5 for partnership in the gospel. It's this word koinonia. Maybe you've heard it before, the Greek word koinonia. And there's a whole theology of koinonia in the New Testament that Paul develops. And it's really about sharing life, sharing in ministry, sharing in suffering, sharing in mourning, sharing in celebrating. It's this deep sense that we are going to share our lives together. And that's what God's going to use to shape and mold us as we share this partnership, this koinonia. It becomes a family that's stronger than blood. A spiritual family that wants your best, that wants you to live your best life. That's what koinonia is. That's what we're called into. We've made faith such an individualistic thing. And, and faith is, is personal, but it's not private. It's a personal thing, but it's not a private thing. Thoreau said, most people lead quiet lives of desperation. I know for me, most of my profound seasons of growth where I actually get to see, you know, a lot of times you don't get to see yourself growing, but where you can feel yourself growing and developing into, into more Christ-like character, into more patient and forgiving and loving person, most of my profound times of growth have been when I've, when I've risked and stepped deeper into community and opened my life in a deeper way and been more vulnerable and more real. That is what God uses when we step in. Are you, are you willing to do that this fall? Are you willing to step, just take a risk 
Maybe, maybe you've been sitting in the back. I, I met a, a guy who's been sitting in the back for 10 years at our church and he said he wants to be part of a men's group. And it just so encouraged me that God is speaking even to the back row back there. He's speaking to you guys. Um, but, but just take a risk. Jump into a life group. Jump into the 40 days of discipleship, spiritual friendship, serve teams, ministry teams. We have so many opportunities. We got a great class coming up called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. If you need that this fall, that's gonna be coming out in September. Come experience someone praying for you. This part of our community. We have every, every week people up here that are ready to speak God's promises over you. Ready to share a blessing over you and pray with whatever you're going through. That's a great step. It's a battle. This is a battle to stay in community, isn't it? There, there's part of us that just wants to run away. It gets too scary. It gets too hard. I'm going to read a, a, just a little bit of a blog from a woman in our church, actually, who um, wrote a blog this week. And it was, she titled it, Why I Came to Church, Why I Left, and Why I Came Back. Caught my attention. Someone sent it to me, and um, it, was, it was really profound, really raw, about how when she came to church, she felt intimidated and unspiritual and she didn't know anything about the Bible, and it was scary to open up her life, and these really nice people were welcoming her in, and, and it just got too hard. It got too hard, and she had the, 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 the pain of, of getting close to people. It's hard, and so they, they left. And then I want to read this excer excerpt about just, just the last part. It wasn't until two years ago when we were in a dark season with one of our kids that we found our way back to church. It wasn't even my husband or I who can take credit for finding our way back. We didn't just one day wake up and ready to face the pain of what others thought. We were once again led by one of our kids. They said to us, let's give it another try, pointing us straight to the pain, encouraging us to go head on into what scares us, into what we fear into potential judgment. This is what these kids do. They teach us every single day. God was working through them to help us to help them. They were put here to teach us to face whatever we fear, to face pain over and over again. And this time, it felt different. Through our pain and brokenness, we were welcomed back with open arms graceful, open, loving arms. Last week at church, the Rev said, God speaks to us through our pain. I've never heard truer words. I thought to myself as I sat there, I love our church. These are my people. This is exactly where we're supposed to be. God is using people in our lives to shape us, to mold us, to do what he wants to do, and it's hard. We gotta stick with it. We gotta open our lives to it. 
Some of you signed up for this 40 days of discipleship. It's, it's not too late to sign up. We had about 150 people sign up and, and you're paired off. And you're gonna get two weeks into this thing and you're gonna be like, I don't like my partner. Oh man, I don't like my partner. I don't know what to do. I don't like uh, that person. And um, you know, God has a plan. He's got a purpose in it. Just stick with it. Stay with it. He's doing something. Remind yourself, what, what, God, what are you doing? Remind yourself, what are you up to, God? You're growing my love, my capacity to love. Got it. Second tool he uses, process. Verse six, look at verse six. He who began the work in you will carry it on into completion. The message says, God is gonna keep at it. The New Living Translation says, continue his work. The Passion Translation says, faithfully continue the process of maturing you, and he will put his finishing touches on it. You guys, we're in process together, right? Amen? We're in process together. We, we don't like process very much, do we? It's, it's kind of messy. It's not like you become a Christian and poof, all of a sudden you you magically know all the Bible verses you're supposed to know, and you are super kind and loving, and you're amazing and, and forgiving, and you're just, you don't hold anything against anyone anymore. That's not what happens. You, you enter into a process where God is transforming you. It's a process. Think about the process of clay being formed into a pot. The process of pushing and pressing and Fire, it's a process. One pastor said, God's work in our lives is, is not like an inoculation. It's like dialysis we need every day. It's a dialysis we need every day. We need him to keep molding, to keep shaping. That hunk of clay doesn't overnight turn into this amazing piece of art down here. It takes time. It takes mess, doesn't it? It's messy. Process is messy. We had a, we had a series a, a few years ago called Messy Church. Maybe you've seen some people wear the shirt, and I think we maybe need to do it again because I don't know that we've gotten it. It's messy. We're in process together, you guys, and every one of us is, is in the process. None of us are down here. None of us are these beautiful pots. We're all in process together and it's a mess. So if you're not a mess, something is wrong, so partially, if, if, you're, if you have no mess in your life, because process is messy, and we're told we're in process. Let me give you permission to be a little messy in this place, okay? Or a lot messy. This is a community where we believe so deeply that authenticity is the key to transformation. You can come and, and share that you're confused, that you're hurt. This is what life groups are about. We do life together. We're, there are times where we, we struggle to believe God is good. We need each other. We feel alone. We feel inadequate. We feel insecure. 
And we just want to cover up that mess sometimes. Don't we want to pretend like, oh, it's, it's, we're in process. This is awesome. Everything's great. A couple weeks ago, I started a process with my wife, and we decided to take everything out of our garage. We Marie Kondoed that thing and took it all out. It was amazing. It, it was brutal. It, I hated every minute of it. No, it, was, it, it took me five hours to get everything out of my garage, and we had it on our front like driveway and pathway, and, and uh, we live on a really public street, uh, if you didn't know, and right in front of Peabody School, and it was like one of the first, it was, maybe it was teacher, the teacher day or something, where they're all there without the kids, and they're all walking by, and, and they're like, whoa, <laughs> wow, how'd you get all that in there? That's amazing, and I'm like, I know, it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? It's like, all of a sudden, I started getting embarrassed of all my mess, my stuff. And I'm like, cover it up, hurry, cover it. No, that, the only way to deal with it was to get it out there, right? The only way to deal with the process is to, to get it out there so that people can see it and touch it. Come on. We are in process. Don't spend any more energy covering up your mess. It's not worth it. It's okay to just be you. Be your real person. Let me bring us to the last tool. We got to close up. People, process, pressure. Pastors love P. I don't know why it just happens that way. Paul reminds us that he's in chains for the gospel. He's under pressure. He's in chains. Pressure happens in our life when things don't work out the way we think they should, right? That's when we feel pressure. We think something should go a certain way, should look a certain way, and it doesn't, and so we get pressed Pressure is one of God's tools. It's the most obvious tool that makes this pot. Pressure. The potter has to press and push and mold and, and dig and pinch to make these pots happen. That's what the potter does. That's how he makes a beautiful piece of art. He applies pressure. Stephen Furtick's got a great message called Pressure Point. Pressure points. You want to go listen to that later. It's an awesome podcast. Pressure points. But he talks about how pressure points. And I was thinking about pressure points. You know, when, when I was raising up my boys, I, I taught them a little bit about pressure points. There's, there's one right here on your neck that's pretty sensitive. And there's one right down here on your leg that's pretty sensitive, you know. And, and they would know, like, if, if they felt pressure, like, well, I better pay attention. This is, this is important. Pressure points to purpose. It, it points to what God is doing. It, it points it to us being attentive to what God is up to. That's what pressure does. That's the tool he's using. Pressure points. I think pressure is supposed to point us back to God. It, it points us to remember that there's a purpose that he who began a good work in me is going to complete it. God's got a purpose 
in this pressure? Can I see it? God, can I embrace it? Can you give me more trust to follow you in the midst of this pressure? I know there's a lot of people that face pressure in here. There's a lot of different kinds of pressure. Unemployment, family members create pressure, health, cancer creates pressure, disease, not being able to have kids, maybe having a second kid, maybe having a fourth kid, God bless you, Vernon's. You know what it's like to have a fourth kid? It's like you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. <laughs> Jim Gaffigan, ladies and gentlemen, tell me that. <clears throat> some of them we want, some of them we don't want, but things like teenagers <laughs> apply pressure. I have a teenager in my house now. There's a new pressure in my house. It's pressure. Can I trust that pressure is part of God's plan? That's the question. Is God, what is he up to? Why am I feeling this pressure? Can I, can I point and say, God, I need you to show me what this pressure is all about. Why are you letting me go through this pressure? God is finishing the work he started, friends. He's going to finish it. He's doing it. Our job is just to get back on the potter's wheel and let him do it. Let grace transform us. I'm going to invite the band up. And I'm going to put up 2 Corinthians 4 as the band comes up. And I want to close with this passage. It's so powerful. Second Corinthians 4, 7 through 10 says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And listen to this last statement. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed. As I lead us to the table this morning, just think about this. We are created to hold the power and the presence of God Almighty. We are a vessel and God wants to put his power and his presence inside of us. And we get to access that through faith. This is such a tangible symbol of that as we, as we partake of the body and the blood that his presence is in us. That's so awesome that we get to do this. We get to remember God has a plan for the pressure. God is taking us through a process. And when the pressure comes and it will come, we're reminded that the power 
in me is greater than the power that's pressing in on me, right? The power that's inside of me is greater than any power that could press on me. And then we carry around the body, in our body, the death of Jesus. Yeah, what does that mean? We carried around in our body the death. We carried around. There's a lot of interpretations on this one. My wife and I were, were talking about it last night, and I think this just, this came to me, and the key to experiencing life in Jesus is the death of Jesus. We want to experience the life of Jesus in our lives. We come and we, we say, I, I believe in the result and the power of his death. As Jesus said, it's finished. He said, it's finished on the cross. I don't have to work to have my life all together. I don't have to work to be accepted by anybody else. I'm fully accepted by Jesus. And so I carry around his death in me to remember that. It's finished. It's done. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way he took the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, the new covenant. And he gave this to his disciples. And I just want to remind us of what happened after that. He went to the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of Gethsemane. It means olive press, the olive press. And what he did there, he got down on his knees and he showed us, this is how you live and process. This is how you live out God's purposes. This is how you, you let God do what he wants to do. And he said, God, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. That's, that's it this morning, you guys. I, I hope you hear that, that you can be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. You can experience his power, the power of his resurrection in your life, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through. And this table, we're invited to, people in process are invited to this table to experience his goodness and his love and his grace. And so as you come, you can just dip bread, you can put it in the, in the cup and partake, carry around the death of Jesus with you. And we're gonna have some prayer people up on the sides. We'd love to pray for you. Let me, let me say a prayer. God, thank you so much for what you're doing, what you're up to. We look at these beautiful pots here and God, you are creating something so much more beautiful than we could ever dream or imagine from that hunk of clay over there. You're transforming each one of us in this place. You're transforming this community to be a people that reorders our life around you. God, would you move this morning? Would you, as we worship you, would you come and help us to experience your power and your love and your presence in just a real way, God. We worship you.
this morning for what you're doing. We praise you for what you're going to do in the future. Yeah, we thank you. Thank you for being here with us. And all of God's people said, let's stand up together. Let's worship. When you're ready, you can come have communion and enjoy the presence of God. Come get some prayer. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the Watch and Listen page on OceanHills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.